Welcome back to another episode of the Off the Bench podcast. Uh, once again, joining me today is Andy Berman from Raleigh, North Carolina. Andy, how are you doing? Doing good. Doing good. And Jesus, back in, in Indiana here with me. Um, had an eventful summer, but winding down now. How are you doing, Jesus? Glad to be back. Was a little homesick, but excited to talk about some basketball. Good. Um, it's been a slow stretch here for the NBA. Uh, but, you know, we delayed this podcast a little bit with hopes that, you know, the Jalen extension would kick in. Um, and luckily today uh, that came to fruition as the Boston Celtics and Jalen Brown reached agreement on a five-year, $304 million Supermax extension, making Jalen Brown not only the highest paid player in the NBA, but the highest paid player in NBA history. Just initial thoughts. What goes through your mind when you hear that statement, boys? Well, first first of all, congrats to Jalen Brown. That's a very big chunk and change. But for me, compared to other people, I'm actually excited to see more of that exciting Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown duo. For me, I thought it was the best decision for the Celtics. You obviously can't just let your second best player walk. And then I can see why they did it, obviously. They're trying to win with that core. It's a win now mode. And for me, what I see, worst case scenario, one, one NBA championship, which doesn't sound too bad. Best case scenario, two NBA championships. So that's where you're limiting it to. Best case scenario is two. Yep. Two in five years. That's that's pretty good. That's good. That's very good. Berman, any thoughts? Yeah. It took a long time. Kind of kind of were wondering people not yeah. me, but people in the know were wondering like why is it taking so long what's happening is there like a trade happening but in the end it finally happened he became the highest paid player in the nba good for him he's gonna make a lot of money kind of interesting was the contract to me was that they had like a there was no team a player option so there's no player option for him to like opt out and get get to become a free agent one year earlier which mostly every i think every big contract has one and um, so there's that. And there's also like a 15% trade kicker, which is something kind of interesting too. I don't, could you explain more about what a trade what did kicker you say, is? What did you say the percentage of the trade 15%, kicker was? 15%. 15%. Which, I mean, I could be wrong. I thought I saw something where like the normal trade kicker is about 40%. I don't know if oh. that's accurate or not. But like when you look at the timeline of free agency starting, and he was eligible at midnight, the second night or the weekend, whatever. And it took like the whole month, basically. Like, this is what it was. It was, you know, he popped in and out of the country. He had player association events. But in terms of the actual negotiation, like I'd been telling you guys, and like we'd said on the pod before, the money was not the issue. It never was. And that's, I think, where Boston was willing to negotiate. It's like, all right, you know, we're going to give you this full amount, right? Because you've had people say, hey, he had a bad conference finals, you know, take a pay cut, right? Help your team out. I, for a 26-year-old, like I think that's a little bit unfair and unrealistic. I mean, he just had a hell of a year. Like second team All-NBA is no joke. Like that, that that's very, very good. Um, so Boston, Brad Stevens, yes, $304 million. You get the max deal. Let's look at everything else in terms of your long-term future here, right? Like let's look ahead a little bit to what's going to happen in the last year or two of your contract. And let's negotiate that part. So like you said, the trade kicker, but no player option, right? So that's basically 
where Jalen Brown's giving in, okay? Because if you give him a player option and no trade kicker, you're putting the cards in his hands, right? Like he gets to make that decision at the end. No, now it's Boston who gets to make the decision on that last year, okay? So they could trade him with him becoming a free agent in the next summer. Basically, they're saying, we want that power, but we're willing to give you that trade kicker, a bonus of your money, if we do end up deciding to trade you, right? Like, God willing, that doesn't happen. And these, you know, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown retire in Boston. That'd be great, all right? Repping my guy today. This is That's what I want to happen. But, you know, if if you're Boston and you say, we're going to give you the full amount of money, and then you can't get him to cave in on the player option, you know, that's where potentially maybe this takes another month. Maybe they don't do it at all, all right? So I think what we're looking at here is if they decide to trade him in that last year of the player, the last year of the contract, then he gets that extra 15%. Um, I'm not sure if that's, I think that's in the year. I wouldn't expect that to be of the entire contract. I don't know. That's the year. Yeah, I would have to do a little bit more research on that, but I believe that's what it is. Um, I like what Jesus said uh, in terms of, you know, like this is what they had to do, right? You don't, this is your second best player, regardless of bringing Porzingis in. Like this is a guy that Jason Tatum came in his rookie year with, who Jason Tatum's a franchise piece. Very rarely as a team, especially in this era of the NBA with the new CBA and all these restrictions, you can look at it as, oh, now they're paying these guys all this money. If, I, I guarantee you Brad Stevens and Boston are sitting in their buildings right now and they're they're high-fiving each other over the fact that they get to pay these two players. Like, we own we own these two players for the next five years. That That's something that's, you know, that just doesn't happen very often in the NBA that you just lock up, you know, generational talent like this. So, and I want to make a point, like, on the side real quick. Uh, you scroll through Twitter and the main complaint is, Oh my God, how is this guy, you know, the most the highest paid player in NBA history? All right. The salary cap is going to go up 10% every year. It's going to be, it's like 134 right now. It's going to be 149 next year. And then after that, it's going to jump up to like 170 or 160 ish. Like it's going to keep going up. We're going to be at 200 million before you know it. And I was doing research next summer, Jason Tatum is going to make $14 million more over the same stretch than Jalen Brown. So it's like, okay, yeah, the stars aligned to where he was extension eligible after a career year, you know, right as the new CBA comes in and everybody's making a big deal about it. You got a guy like Jalen Brown, you pay him, all right, especially when you're winning all the time with him. There hasn't been a point where he's been on the team and it's like, yeah, we can't win with Jalen Brown. Jalen Brown's always been a guy who has taken us where we needed to be, you know, just aside from a championship. He was the best player on the team in the finals in 2022, right? Like he was the reason we won game one. I mean, he helped us through games three and game five. He almost brought us back. Like he's getting a lot of heat. And it, to be honest, it's unfair. Um, but any any final thoughts before we move on from the extension? Um, it kind of just came out of nowhere today. Uh, the idea was that it was going to get done this week, but we didn't know it was going to be today. It's just crazy how many people are slandering him after just one bad series. They're acting like he's not a top 20 player. And obviously, all he really needs to work on is his decision skills and his left hand. And then, boom, even even without his non-good left hand, he can still ball out and average 20-plus. So, Right. And real quick, 
that's another thing. It was a left hand all the dribbling means. Like, I'm not saying he has a great handle, but he has been like this his whole career. He didn't magically just lose his left hand. So the, the real problem is his IQ, right? He's Like you said, the decision-making's got to improve. And I think the handle, it's going to improve every year. He's not going to get a worse handle. I, I think all the concerns are way too dramatic right now. Um, and I, I just love it for both sides. Like, it's, as long as you have these two players on your team, every year teams or people around the league are going to say, who you got coming out of the East? You know, Boston's going to be in that conversation every single time. Um, so moving on from that, you know, if you want to look at it from a financial side for the team now, moving forward, you know, they're going to be in the second apron every single year right, unless somebody gets moved and they just reconstruct the roster um, to be all minimums, which is all they're going to be able to sign people with other than rookie deals, which that's why draft picks are going to be so important. And, Berman, I wanted to get your thoughts on this. You know, we hadn't really been looking at Boston as somebody who's just going to stock up draft picks to pick. You know, you think a team like that, oh, they're going to make a big trade. I certainly thought so too. Now that you look at the financials, Two max contracts, Porzingis on thirty million a year, and you still want to keep guys like Brogdon around, or Derek White's going to get an extension soon. You know, are they stockpiling these picks because they actually want to use them? You think? Yeah, I think they kind of have to because with the second apron stuff and the new CBA, I feel like once you're a repeater, tax team, I might be a little wrong on the exact what happens, but. If you're like a repeater tax team, you get a lot of stuff. You don't get a lot of stuff. You can't sign player on like a tax exception or you can't, um, when you do a trade, like a player for player trade, you have to match like only, you have to match like 100% of the salary. You can't put cash in a deal. So there's stuff like that, which and hampers you can't, the team. you can't aggregate players either. You would have to do one yeah. for one. So which would, Which is really hard to exactly, you know, 100% match salaries. So I, it will hamper them a lot. They won't have a lot of cash space, especially with Tatum and Brown and like the the max of the maxes contracts. It's going to be like maybe 65% of the total cap space, like the normal cap space for them. So I feel like they have to hit on a few rookies because the rookie contact is pretty less compared to other ones. It just, or this, is the scouting department good enough to hit on a couple of these high draft picks? Because they're not going to have, I don't think whatever trades they make, it's probably not going to be like a top 10 pick or a top 8 pick. So it's going to be one of the lower picks and they're going to have to hit those. I think the Golden State pick is probably the one, you know, with the Jordan Poole trade, like people are going to keep an eye on with the West being so good. So maybe that Golden State you know, first rounder pans out, who knows. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's it's very it's very grim for teams that are in the second, second apron. But like I said, like you're going to have teams like Phoenix, who are in the second apron with, you know, old stars, right? And a lineup that's just kind of thrown together, whereas the Celtics, Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum have played together for six, seven years now. So I think there's an advantage to having that cohesion uh, and even the youth, right? Like, yeah, we're going to be in the tax forever, but we're going to have these really good players for a long time. Um, but, I mean, you know, not to be redundant, but that's kind of just where the thought process is on this whole thing. It was kind of the only option for Boston unless he wouldn't cave on the player option, I would think. Yeah. Um, moving on to, to Chris Paul in Golden State, we had an incident. I think this was close to a week ago now, and this is kind of what sparked my idea, like maybe we should do the pod now. Uh, 
you know, let's wait it out. Let's get some more content. Chris Paul, I think he was doing some sort of media day. I don't know if it was in Vegas at the summer league or not, but he was in a conversation with a reporter and there was a question posed where they wanted to know, like they kind of just implied that he'd be coming off the bench. Um, and that's kind of what everybody else thought too, right? Like, you know, nobody's expecting him to bump Steph up to the two or to start over Steph or Clay. And he kind of looked at the reporter and he goes, he stopped the question. He said, are you coaching? Basically implying that, you know, they haven't agreed that he's going to sit the bench to start the year, even for the full year. So, uh, hey, Zeus, what are your thoughts on CP3, you know, pushing back against the idea of coming off the bench? Well, he's been in the league for 18 years, right? He's never came off the bench in, I think, like almost 1,400 games. I wouldn't be opposed for him coming off the bench, but I could also see that like really small lineup with him, Curry, Clay, Wiggins, and Draymond. I don't know how that would work, but it'd be interesting to see for sure. But I don't know. He's compared to Jordan Poole, obviously he's a lot older, but that man can ball. He he really knows how to play make. I think I saw somewhere where he has like a, 8.9 to like 1.9 assist to turnover ratio. So that man can make some some plays for sure. Another issue, or not another issue, but another um thing that I've seen is not a lot of people are talking about is when the Warriors had trouble shooting threes, they couldn't get too much going. So what Chris Paul brings is his favorite go-to is mid-ranges. So he could probably start lining up the offense more. If they if they can't hit shit from three, so yeah, his impact on the offense is going to be interesting because you know Jordan Poole, without a doubt, is more explosive. You know his ceiling offensively, he probably got a better chance of giving you twenty a night off the bench um, than CP three is. But if you look back at you know, Golden State last year, and I know we talked about this, we touched on it. Their their issue was Steph Steph and Curry would come off the court and they were just horrible. Their net rating was in the tank. Um, and that's what led to them almost being a play-in team. I think they missed it by like a, a game or two. Um, but when you bring in CP3, you're basically saying, you know, we're going to bet on our starting lineup. It's good enough. We need some order with the second unit, right? Like this whole chaos identity where we're just running around and, you know, getting offensive rebounds, kickouts. That's not going to work when Steph comes off the floor with the second unit. So you bring in CP3 to be a floor general and, you know, to just organize everything. Um, so for me, I don't I don't see a world where he starts, right? Because you're not going to bench Steph or Clay. I think, you know, you take Wiggins off the court, your defense, you're not stopping anybody ever. So you're not benching Wiggins. You're going to bench Draymond or Looney, and it'd probably be Looney. That lineup, I just think it's too small, like you said. Um, to me, he has to come off the bench. If for some reason – they go with him starting. I'd be interested to see, you know, how they stagger uh, Steph and CP3's minutes. Uh, but overall, like, seems like he has to come off the bench. Bremen? Yeah, um, not a lot more to add. It just, I think if it, it is a bench role, I think he'll, even though he's acting like it's going to be, like he's going to start, it's going to be him with Curry and Raymond, and he's going to be like, me and Raymond have a good relationship, which I don't think that's real at all. But, but um, I don't. I, I think in the end, he's too old now. Like the sun is about to set 
like the ship is about to sail on his career and he just wants to win a title finally so that he can like say back to all the naysayers and be like yeah I've finally done it so I think even if it's a role that he wouldn't wouldn't necessarily want I think if it's like him winning the title and they're asking him to play a bench role he's gonna do that because he wants to win that's the only reason he's there is because he wants to win yeah in terms of like currently it's hard for me to really judge like what this does for their title chances for their seeding because with the flop going from pool to cp3 now uh, you know i don't think you raise your ceiling at all like i don't think that makes them more of a championship contender in terms of like what they're doing on the court now what it might do is it might give you more stability during during the regular season right like you know you're not going through these stretches of losing back-to-back games and bouncing up and over and below 500 right like it might give them the four seed in the playoffs or the three seed and maybe just maybe that's going to be enough for them to make a playoff run like in terms of rest and confidence and cohesion so maybe it does that but on the court like i'm not going to look at them in the playoffs and say you know they went from jordan pool to cp3 you know they're a title contender now like obviously they're a title contender it's not improving their chances to me i'd have to see you know the fit on the court first before i made any judgment about that Looking at it a little bit more long-term, I hate it because to me, and this could be an overreaction, this is a commitment you know, to trying to win one or two more titles in the Curry-Clay era. Like it has to be because Jordan Poole was your piece that once Curry was gone, you know, you kind of build around him. Maybe he's not the number one option on a championship team, but you have him, all right? He's an asset. Um, and maybe you move him after the Curry era and start a rebuild. No. They're just going to go all in now for another old guard. Um, and as soon as Curry retires, like, it's an instant rebuild. Worst team in the West, right? Wiggins will get traded, and all these things will happen. Um, so long-term, I hate it. Short-term, it doesn't do anything for me in terms of makes me more confident. Um, any final thoughts on Chris Paul to the Warriors? Not for me, yeah. Nope. I know we talked about it during free agency and – you know, it kind of got dried up a little bit, but it flew under the radar. It was one of those things that kind of happened, and then a bunch of other deals followed it. We didn't talk about it a ton. Uh, transitioning a little bit more, kind of your last offseason story. We're not going to touch on Dame. We are going to touch on Harden and the Sixers and everything that's been going on with them. They can't stay out of the spotlight and the headlines. Uh, first off, congratulations to Joel Embiid. Got married. Yeah. Uh, Great I think choice. It was last week. Right, Great choice, good dance moves, just life yeah. of the party. Good vibes, Joel. Um, the other thing he made headlines for, maybe not so positive in the eyes of Sixers fans, um, I think he was on a podcast, but he was in person speaking, and I have the quote here. I'm going to read it off to you guys. They asked him about his future and you know his desires moving forward with basketball. That I just want to win a championship, whatever it takes. I don't know where that's going to be whether it's Philly or anywhere else, I just want to have a chance to accomplish that. You read that and it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. I mean, you know, you, you know everything that's happened with James Harden, you know, they're going to lose Joel Embiid too. Like, obviously the Knicks pop into your mind, like, oh, the Knicks are going to go get him. Oh, Boston's got these picks next year. Who knows? Uh, I think this might just be a statement to the organization. Like, hey, don't mess up this Harden thing, right? Uh, I think with Harden, 
the idea of not messing it up is don't trade him for, you know, small assets now. You're either going to run it back, try to have a good year, and keep Joel's spirits up, or you're going to trade him for a big name now or really good pieces to surround Joel with for years to come. What are your thoughts on this uh, quote by Embiid? Reading into it too much, or is there some merit to it? Yeah, um, I think he meant to, like, give the organization, like, hey, just don't mess this Harden thing up or whatever thing you get in return for Harden is, should be pretty good. Because I, I don't think Harden's coming back. I think it's the ship has sailed on Harden. I think with him not going to the wedding, that's another thing. Him, Everybody else was there, and James Harden was at a party eating burgers, which is not good for Sixers fans. So um, I don't think he's coming PJ back. P.J. Tucker was there too. Let's add that. P.J. Tucker was also there with Harden. Oh, really? P.J. Tucker will be back. I did he not was. see that. He was. Yeah, PJ Tucker's coming back because he's Maury's guy, but I don't think I don't think Harden's coming back looking at that. Because he would be invited to the wedding if they were all buddy buddy. But um so there's that and there's also I think he just Embiid wanted to like keeps it keep his options open and once he messed up he kind of like wanted to make back like he, he had a tweet that said, Oh, I was just trolling or something. That was just and me that's trolling. Not either. I don't buy it. Yeah, that was not yeah. He, the better thing for him would have been to just say it with one team. And the, the minute he said with any other team, it was like, yeah, he's keeping his options up. And he, he isn't, like, going to be a sixer for life. Yeah. I mean, and that shows he's been thinking about it for a while, too. Probably since the Boston series. Is there any thoughts real quick? No, I feel like you guys covered everything. But I would love I'd love to see him and maybe Jalen Brunson pair up one day. That would be an interesting duo for sure. That would be an interesting duo. I think the main idea here is just that, like, it's a statement that nobody should be shocked to hear. I mean, even though this is the first time he's spoken out about it, it's not wild to think about. That that organization, through Ben Simmons, you know, not re-signing Jimmy Butler, and now botching the Harden uh, negotiations in the past two off-seasons, they just let him down over and over. And, I mean, he's shown he's the MVP of the league, and whether his playoff performances have been up to par – and whoever's opinions, like, that's whatever. He's a top-five player in the NBA, and, you know, that organization either needs to commit to helping him win or, you know, come to terms with the fact that, you know, he's not going to stay there forever. And that kind of brings us into the next uh, the next nugget in the Philly saga, and that's more focused on James Harden. James Harden was asked about the Damian Lillard-Portland Trailblazers uh, trade situation. Um I don't know. Did anybody hear what James Harden had to say real quick? No. Well, Harden came out in, in true Harden fashion. Just when you think he's going to say something outlandish, he came in and he tried to be a mediator. He said, I see both sides of it. Um, as a player, you know, you want to go somewhere that's best for you, um, for where you're at in your career and your family. But I see it from the team side, too, um, that you don't want to trade a star player away for nothing. It's like, well, of course, if anybody in the NBA understands, you know, what it's like to be in that kind of situation, it's probably James Harden or Ben Simmons um, who were in the same trade. So obviously he's got a little bit of insight into that. Uh, Harden's Harden's future in Philly, you know, obviously Harden is whatever in terms of whether you want him as Philly or not. But what happens with Harden here will directly impact how long Joel Embiid stays in Philly, right? Because 
you know, with Harden declining or opting into his player option last uh, last month, it kind of showed like he knew the market was going to be kind of low for him. He wanted to get his money. Um, and then, it, you know, the reports come out, the relationship's irreparable, and now he wants out, right? Well, if you don't think there's going to be a market for you in free agency, why do you think there's going to be a market for you in, you know, the trade market? It, it, that, that doesn't make any sense. Um, the other thing is, with how long this has gone on, and you look at where every team is after free agency, personally, I disagree with Andy a little bit. I think the only way he gets traded now is if Portland is willing to walk away from Miami in the Dame situation, send Dame to Philly in a three-team deal with the Clippers where Portland is getting back either or both of Terrence Mann or Tyrese Maxey. I think we've reached that point, genuinely. Um, I think, if not, Daryl Morey, who I'm not underestimating, you know, his will to, to be right and to do its best for the organization. I don't think Daryl Morey will budge on a trade, you know, like we said, where Philly isn't getting what they should be getting. I think they, I think he's willing to just run it back um, and force Harden out there. Um, in terms of where Daryl Morey and Harden are going to have to meet in the middle ground here, where do you think, uh, where do you think, who do you think is going to give a little bit more in sacrifice? Um, I think you're right about Morey. I think he's, he's got the cards on his table because, the thing is, it is a contract year for Harden. Like, it is – he has to prove that he is not declined and he's not the James Harden of Game 5 and Game 6 who couldn't even, like, do anything. So, it just – I think he has to – if if Philly doesn't trade him, if Maury's like, I want a pretty good package, I want Damian Lillard or Paul George in return for James Harden, and if I don't get that, I'm not trading him, then Harden has to play – like some games in the regular season and it has to play well in the payoff for any team in the future to pay him money. So it's kind of like Harden's kind of stuck. I don't think, I don't think Maurice one of those guys that's going to trade him for something less than what he's worth. And I just think it might just be that you might be right. And he might just stay in Philly and he has to play and play well enough to get a contract next year. Yeah. I think you look at Dame in my, or in Portland, and him not having a ton of control there. I think Harden has even less control, honestly. Um, but, yeah, I mean, that's kind of where we're at with the Sixers right now. They're in the spotlight. Bunch of drama again. Um, the final segment I want to talk about here is I'm just going to break out and give you a tier a tier list of NBA teams in East and West. Um, I just want to hear you guys' thoughts um, on what I have to, to say about each of them. I'm going to start in the West, all right, and I'm going to go – Four tiers for each conference. I got it. Contenders, next up contenders, playing teams, um, and your pretenders, essentially. In the West, tier one, above everybody else, I have Denver and Phoenix. Any objections there? Um, switch Phoenix with the Lakers, for sure. Any, seri- any serious objections? That's a serious one. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, next up, I have Memphis, New Orleans, the Lakers, Kings, and Warriors. I think that's where we're at in the West. I think those yeah. are your other playoff, you know, could be that three or four seed. Is that oh, for sure. Teams there? For sure. And then the tier three, your other like teams that should make the play in Minnesota, OKC, 
the Clippers and the Mavericks. And I know this goes against what I said about the Rockets and Mavericks last week or last pod. Um, but this is kind of just like a more like general, you know, tier maker to where everybody can kind of agree on to where the landscape of the NBA is right now. And then obviously your bottom tier, Houston, Utah, San Antonio, and Portland. I think Houston and Utah could be in that play-in tier, but just to keep it even and to kind of keep it a little bit more realistic, and less of a hot take, uh, that's kind of where I'm at, just keeping Houston and Utah down there. So overall, what do you guys think about the West here? Yeah, I'd say I agree completely. I think, I think the I think the Spurs Spurs are kind of like a plucky underdog. I think they're not. You don't know how good Wembenyama is going to be this year, and he might turn out to be pretty damn well good. So we don't know about. I don't know about that one. I think the Spurs are kind of sneaky with Pop coming back, and um, the other team I like is the Thunder. I think they might deserve a spot up because I think this could be the year. They really? Might. Yeah, I think so. I mean, you they think were, they can be a top six seed. I. If they really pull it together, if Chet doesn't get injured and they have no injuries, because Jalen Williams, the J A L E N Williams, Jalen Williams is pretty good. J Dub. Yeah, it's, I don't know how to differentiate <laughs> Jalen and Jalen. And so the Jalen Williams is actually pretty good last year and he got even more jacked up and I think he's going to be really good. So Jalen, Chet Holmgren, um, Shay. And then they've got who's the wide dude? I'm forgetting his name. I don't know Giddy. why. Josh Giddy, yeah. yeah, yeah. If he gets a jumper, I think they're going to be a top sixteen. So I'm, I think they can move up, move up a tier at the end of next year. I mean, that's not ridiculous. I'm excited to see Holmgren in the offense and defense. Frankly, um, I think him next to Jay will. I think that's a a good complimentary big man duo. Um, moving over to the East, tier one, a little bit wider. Um, and this is both assuming Dame goes to Miami and still kind of giving them, you know, the benefit of the doubt is defending champs in the East. I got Boston, Milwaukee, and Miami up top. Any quick thoughts there? Yeah, I agree. All agrees. Yeah. yeah, I agree. And then Philly, Cleveland, New York. And I threw Atlanta into that second tier as well. Those are my tops, top six teams. One of them will get bumped to seven, obviously, but I couldn't leave Atlanta out. And I, I do still think that they might end up with Siakam. We'll see what happens with that. But regardless, they gave Boston a hell of a series. Um, I think they deserve a spot up there. Tier three, this is where I kind of went back and forth a little bit. I got a couple play-in teams, Indiana, Brooklyn, and Orlando. I think Orlando can make that jump. I was tempted to put Charlotte up there just because I like I like where they're at with Melo uh, and a couple of those wings. And I think Bridges has a lot to prove this year as well. Um, Berman thoughts on Indy in the in the three slot here. Yeah, I, I agree. I don't think they're at Atlanta. I think they might be at Atlanta's level if everybody's not injured and everybody's healthy and they're looking good. But I agree, they're they're not. They're certainly not tier two. They might be like at the upper echelon of tier three because I feel like Halliburton he's going to be pretty good this year. I think he, this is going to be his coming out party and he's going to be. He's not going to get injured. He's going to be with Obi Tobin. Topping, he's going to throw up some labs. And Matherin's got a year to develop. So there's that. And then um, I think Indiana's might have a chance to jump into tier two. But yeah, I think you might. I don't know about you not pull, 
putting the bulls in there? Is that kind of thing they they might nope, be not seriously. the bottom bottom end of D three? But I don't know. What about you, Jesus? I agree with all of Kevin's listings. Besides the Orlando one, I would have said the Wizards, but that's just me. Other than that, I would really, think, yeah, I wouldn't take that's the whole series team. at all. Man, I, I, I almost made a separate tier for Washington and Detroit there, at really? the bottom. I don't, I don't, I don't think very highly of Washington at all. I feel like they're gonna do something crazy. You never know. Yeah, it's possible. possible. No, they're tanking. I don't think they're. They're gonna, they're gonna be the bottom. There's room for parity in that, like eight through ten, I think. Uh, maybe even nine through ten only. There's definitely room for parity, but I don't know. I think those are kind of a consensus around the community, like the general outline of it. They're nothing too crazy. I just wanted to get you guys' thoughts. Um, based on the schedule, that's all we got for tonight. The pods are going to continue to probably be short like this. Um, we're kind of in the dog days of the NBA offseason here in late July. Free agencies died down. Trade docs were stalled. Um, we're still about two and a half months away from the start of the regular season. I suspect by September we'll get some more content. Um, we're going to look to spice it up, bring some more trivia maybe into the pod, um, maybe some rankings and, you know, a couple cool, fun little uh, segments to spice things up. But I think that's going to do it for us this week. You guys got anything else before we go? No. Not for me. All righty. Well, I would say expect another episode um, either late in the first week of August or early in the second week. Um, we're probably going to go a week and a half in between episodes at this point uh, just to have enough to to go off of for an episode uh, to make it this length. So uh, thanks for joining us, everybody. This uh, episode, recording it Tuesday night. Um, it should be up on YouTube and Spotify somewhere around Wednesday. Wednesday night, maybe Thursday morning at the worst. So, as always, uh, thank you, and we will see you next time.